1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
2: Thank you, Heisty. Welcome back to Grant and Danny all over D.C. on our flagship 1067 The Fan. We are live in Richmond on AM 910 and FM 105.1. Of course, you can take us with you you wherever you go. If you're going to get something done today, shopping, taking the kids somewhere, grab your phone and bring us with you on the Odyssey app. Make sure you have it downloaded. You can pause, rewind, fast-forward the show as need be. The Bears have just agreed to terms with Tremaine Edmonds, local Commonwealth of Virginia product here. Four years, $72 million, $50 million in guarantees, the largest four-year contract for an inside linebacker in the NFL's history. Although I will say we all know he's not really an inside linebacker. He's a linebacker and a safety and a corner and whatever he decides to be on that down. That dude's really good. He can do everything on the football field. That's positionless football. You want to see what it looks like? It's him. Because I was even thinking to myself, I'm like, what would you even label him as? I would just say linebacker and hope
3: nobody asks any follow-ups. Schefter is, is <laughs> you know? calling
2: him an ILB, and, and they're technically saying he broke the record for inside linebacker. 4-72, 50 in guarantees. So you've been wondering, what are the Bears going to do with their $100 million that they have to spend? They're finding some ways to do it. They have looked at the market, and they have targeted some stars, and the spending has begun. More on the crazy NFL spending as we continue on Grant and Danny, but it is time right now for our Beltway Blitz, spinning you around town, getting you the latest on all the teams and stories you care about. Let's get to it. And to talk about Maryland basketball, but also the rest of the locals in the NCAA tournament, our guy Patrick Stevens. Well, I always I always bug our guys, Darris and Ryan. I said, I want to talk to Patrick Stevens at tournament time. There's nobody in the country better with more knowledge on college basketball. Patrick, thank you for joining us, buddy. How are you?
0: I am well. How are you guys?
2: Doing very well. Maryland's draw. What do we think?
0: Uh, Not very favorable. Uh, West Virginia will be a toss-up game, I think, in the first round. Uh, A West Virginia team that that maybe isn't necessarily what we remember from the last time those two teams played in the tournament back in 15. Uh, Not necessarily quite as strong at the defensive end, but absolutely better at the offensive end. And so that's going to be a tough go in the first round. And even if Maryland gets out of that, it's basically going to play Alabama right in the heart of Alabama. And the last time they played Alabama in the NCAA tournament uh, was basically one of those Crimson Tide three-point paloozas. And that's what you always have to be worried about when, when facing them. So I, I think that's uh, a, a really tough draw for Al- out for, for Maryland really hard to see them making it out of the first weekend
3: vcu tough draw as well against uh west coast conference power st mary's what do you think
0: that is uh, going to be one of the best defensive games of the first round st mary's and vcu i believe are both top 20 teams in ken palm in defensive efficiency st mary's a better offensive team than vcu is uh but that smells like a first to 55 wins game uh for both of those teams
2: How about the other of the locals, Howard, obviously, in terms of beating Kansas, not a lot to say there, but I think it's an amazing story that they're in the tournament. What can you tell us about that program and their season? And then also, uh, Virginia, and what lies ahead for them?
0: Well, with Howard, that's the first NCAA tournament bid in 31 years. The last time they made the tournament, they played Kansas as well, it turns out. Uh, A team, (coughs) excuse me, uh, a team that, uh, really has uh, improved a great deal under Kenny Blakeney over the last four years. They took a big step forward last year, won the MEAC regular season and tournament this year. A lot of interesting pieces, and they're super deep. The freshman, and the point guard, Elijah Hawkins, uh, Steve Settle III uh, as a 6'10", 190 pound, you know, three-point shooter. There's a lot to like about what they have. And don't forget about Jelani Williams, the Penn grad transfer who has made such an important difference for this Howard team.
3: Patrick, let's talk championship contenders. I I love this Houston team. They are impossible to play against. They're excellent defensively. But this Marcus Sasser injury has me a little bit concerned. What can you tell us?
0: Yeah, I mean, if Sasser's out, that changes things a bit for Houston. But I think that if he's healthy and ready to go, they're the most trustworthy team in the tournament. Not saying that means they'll win the championship, but I, I think they're a team that's as good a bet as anybody to make a Final Four if they're completely whole. They play tenacious defense. And offensively, they're actually not a bad team either when they have all their pieces in place.
2: Patrick Stevens is with us. Great information on College Hoops. I'm going to tell you where you can follow him on social here as this tournament gets underway this week because he's always got great intel. Uh, We were going to talk UVA for a moment. I watched their inability to score against Duke. It was kind of your prototypical UVA that you think of, right? They were great defensively. They hung around. They just couldn't get within more than six or seven down in that game, and offense just didn't come easily to them. What's your thought about their chances? Well, it's kind of an interesting
0: situation for them. They're down Ben Vanderplass, and so they were kind of adjusting on the fly down in Greensboro to be in without uh, one of their front court options. You look at the matchup that they have with Furman in the first round. Furman's a team that's one of the most efficient two-point percentage shooting teams in the country. And so I think that the Virginia defense – is going to get tested out a great deal in that game. If they make it through, they'll either face a San Diego State team that also has an excellent defense or a Charleston bunch that's won 31 games and is a legitimate threat to make it to the second weekend of the tournament. I think the Cavaliers are going to have, a, have some trouble making it out of that sub, sub-regional down in Orlando.
3: Patrick, I feel like Purdue's got no buzz. Just this overlooked number one seed. Zach Ganey's the National Player of the Year. Do they have enough to, to win six games? Do, I feel like just no one believes in them because it's Purdue.
0: Well, I think people don't believe in them necessarily because they lost four games in a six-game span there in February. I think that's a big part of it. I think the other part of it is, is you look at the backcourt and there's a bunch of freshmen and you wonder, how are those guys going to hold up as a tournament unfolds? You know, I think the teams that kind of got the better of them realized that you go ahead and let Edie go and get his 26 points and 15 rebounds and shut everybody else down. Uh, you look at that draw, though, that's actually kind of a wide-open east when you think about it. I mean, I think the four-seed in that bracket, Tennessee, is a good bet to go out in the first weekend, quite possibly the first day of the tournament. You have Kansas State that's a bit unproven in the postseason. You have a Marquette team that's a bit unproven in the postseason. And then you've got Duke sitting there that's a really interesting piece that finally got healthy and is playing really well right now. You know, I don't trust Purdue to be much more than a Sweet 16 team, which is more than I can say for pretty much anybody else in the Big Ten because I don't trust any of those teams. Uh, but I do think Purdue probably had a little less buzz, in part because they had that sort of wobble there in the middle of February.
2: Give me a sleeper contender, kind of along the lines of what you were just alluding to, but maybe a good team that you could see going on a run and winning this thing that don't get talked about a lot. And then give me your favorites to be a Cinderella story, your Oral Roberts, St. Peter's, if you will.
0: Well, one team that stands out to me is as, as one that's capable of going on a deep run and has been playing really well up until they lost in their conference tournaments. Connecticut, uh, the analytics love them, uh, and you look at what they have. They'll, they'll be in in Albany for the first weekend. They'll get that possibly get Kansas in the in the Sweet 16. I think Connecticut's a team that is capable of doing something. And if you want a deep sleeper, a team that's a 14 or a 15, maybe capable of, of pulling off a surprise here. In the, uh, in the opening week of the tournament. I'm going to give you Kennesaw State in the Midwest bracket, facing Xavier down in Greensboro. Kennesaw State was a team, kind of like Howard, uh, no recent success whatsoever. They hired a guy named Amir Abdur-Rahim. He basically built a program the old-fashioned way with a core group of guys that managed to keep them together. And now they've won, I think, 26 games and won the Atlantic Sun Tournament. I think that is a team capable of keeping pace with Xavier, which is a really hard thing to do. Uh, And that could be a very interesting game in that Midwest bracket.
3: Patrick, thank you, buddy. Really appreciate the time and info, man.
0: Awesome. You guys have a good one. You too, my friend. Let's
3: hit that wizard sounder, Darius. Chase Hughes, Embassy Sports Washington, joins us to talk about those wizards. Chase, uh uh-oh, lost five of six, couple at home to Atlanta. All of a sudden, after the All-Star break, this group looks like they've never met each other. What's going on?
4: Yeah, a lot has changed in less than a week you go back to Wednesday, the Wizards were about to host the Atlanta Hawks for two games at home. They were 10th in the Eastern Conference, only one game back from the Hawks, who were in eighth. And they lost three straight games, and now they're in 12th in the Eastern Conference, tied for 11th and 12th, with now the sixth worst record in the NBA. And there's only 14 games left in the season. So the the momentum that they had going into the All-Star break, where they'd won 10 of 14, has been completely flipped on its head. They've now lost seven of their last ten, and as you mentioned, five out of their last six.
2: Chase, it's hard to be 12th in the East. I mean, there, there just aren't that many teams that are trying to win. And I mean, the Wizards are basically now even in the standings with some teams that are purposefully trying to lose, which is not at all what they're doing. I mean, this would be a real disaster if they missed the play-in tournament, would it not? I
4: think that's a fair assessment. I mean, you can even compare it to their recent history. This would be uh, the fifth straight year if they continue on this course with a losing record. Uh, The last time they had five straight years with losing records was when they were rebuilding. They were tanking, and they drafted John Wall and Bradley Beal and Otto Porter. Um, Earlier this season, when they lost 10 straight games, uh, they hadn't done that in 10 years, and it, it also took you back to that era. So, obviously, completely different expectations. That's reflected by the players that they have, what they say about their expectations, and also the salary cap that they carry. It's a team that's about to get very, very expensive. You already have a Supermax contract on the books, and Kyle Kuzma is going to get a huge raise. Christoph Schwarzingis could make, uh, he's going to make a lot of money next year, whether he opts into his player option or opts out of it and gets a new deal. So um, it's clearly not what they were hoping for going into this year. And you have to wonder what that will lead to, you know, maybe some changes um, if if they do continue on this course and fall way short of what they were hoping to do this season.
3: So, Chase, for a while we would hear that, well, it's Kuzma, Beal, and Porzingis haven't played together that much. And whenever they do play together, uh-huh. Well, they're playing together right now, and we're still not seeing the results. Kind of as we're talking about here, break this down for us, diagnose it. Listen, use to Philadelphia. Okay, you know, bad game, bad happens. But getting beat by Atlanta a couple times and eking one out against Detroit, they're not playing great basketball together. What are you seeing on the court?
4: Yeah, it's been tough to nail down like one thing that's been problem that been a problem for them over the last ten games. Because before that, with the same group of players. Uh, They had gone on a a really impressive stretch over the course of about a third of the season, but over these last 10 games, uh, I think they've been making a lot fewer threes. They're only making about 10 threes a game before that. uh, They were a much hotter shooting team from three point range Uh, defensively, just all across the board. They haven't been the same team and they've had a lot of trouble getting to the free throw line over these last 10 games. They've taken the fewest free throw attempts of any team in the league. Now, um, it's not really congruent with like their drives to the rim, so I don't think it's necessarily something they're doing wrong. You know, Maybe it's partly they're not getting the calls, but obviously that hasn't helped their cause. And you know, they've played some good teams, too, some teams that have um, playoff hopes and they're in very similar positions and also have the same type of urgency. And that's going to continue moving forward. They've got to play the Kings very soon, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, so it's not going to get any easier moving forward. They just have to maybe take solace in the fact that, these same players went on a pretty nice run recently. They just got to get back to what they were doing.
3: Chase, you you just helped me stumble onto something that I just cannot get over. I watch, I was at the game this past Friday watching Trey Young pull up and hit dagger threes, and everyone on the on the Hawks like took turns hitting open threes. The Wizards objectively have good shooters, including good three-point shooters. And yet they just don't hit threes. It it drives me insane. I can't figure it out. Give me your best guess as to why. I think if you knew why, you would like slip Tommy Shepard and Wesson Unseld a note, and it would just be fixed. But like, what <laughs> the hell is going on with Kuzma, Bill, Porzingis, Kispert? Like legitimate shooters, they can't hit threes, and it drives me insane.
4: I think it might come down to uh, shot creation and the ability to get in the paint and create open threes for other players. Maybe the pace that they play when you. Um, you know, turn up the speed and get out and transition that often leads to open threes. And they don't have a roster that just naturally lends itself to that style. Um, So maybe it's a a matter of just the type of threes that they're taking. Um, But yeah, overall this season, they've been a below average three-point shooting team. But when they were, you know, winning a lot of games entering the All-Star break, they were a top 10 three-point shooting team going back 25, 30 games. So it might sound a little bit simplistic to say, okay, well, you, know, you got to make your threes, you're going to win games. But that um, that did kind of tell the story for them when they were playing their best basketball this year.
2: Chase, thanks, bud. Absolutely, guys. See you. Dude. That's Chase Hughes, NBCSportsWashington.com. Let's talk to his colleague. Ethan Kiddo of NBCSW.com joins us. Ethan, let's start with Deron Payne, who got his $22.5 million per year, four and 90 yesterday. Looks like about a three-year, $67 million deal, and they'll have to decide what they want to do before the fourth year. What would you make of this?
5: I was surprised when it happened. I think I became numb to the fact that I thought he was just going to play on the franchise tag this year and then walk. And I know throughout the combine offseason, Rivera made it a point to say taking care of his own was a priority, but I just didn't think it was going to happen. I think Payne got the number he was looking for at, 22.5 million a year. Like you said, it's really a third three-year deal with the fourth year option. I'm sure if he does make it to that fourth year, there'll be some sort of restructuring to get that cap number down. So I think it's a good deal for both sides that lowers Washington's cap in 2023. Obviously they've been pretty busy today, the first day of tampering period. So I thought it makes sense for both sides and hopefully he's able to replicate and jump from what he did last year.
3: What does that mean for sweat? What does it mean for chase young?
5: I think it means they're vying for one spot, honestly. It's going to be hard to keep both long-term sweats going into the final year of his deal. The team still hasn't decided about Chase Young's fifth-year option, which could get picked up. It might not. I just, I think for 2023, all four will be there, but I think it's the last year we're going to see those four first-rounders playing alongside each other. I think mo- most likely Chase Young's the guy they keep, but the last two years is kind of – you'd probably want to lean sweat just because of durability and being able to play. I mean, that's the biggest thing.
2: The commanders are making offensive line a priority. We knew they would free agency began four hours ago. They've already signed Andrew Wiley, who might start at right tackle like he did for the chiefs all the way through the Super Bowl last year. And they even added interior offensive line depth. A former giant added to the fold as well. Maybe not a starter, but 8 million in guarantees kind of a Wes Schweitzer type. Contract uh, what do you make of what they've done on the O line so far?
5: I really like the Wiley signing. I thought the money made a lot of sense. it's solid money for him, but not over the top, and you're getting a good player. He's played won two super Bowls he's played three different positions on the offensive line, capable of playing both guard and tackle. I think he'll probably be right tackle with Sam Cosby sliding in to right guard. It'd be my best guess, but it could be flip flopped and you know what that's totally fine too. I think they're both capable. Of playing those positions and then nick gates like you said i think this is just the west schweitzer deal three years later the money's pretty similar relative to the cap it's a guy who's also played multiple positions on the offensive line both center and guard positions we know positional versatility is something the rivera staff covets and it makes a lot of sense that they're beefing up their o-line hopefully this means cornerback is to come or that's their first round draft pick
3: Ethan, I'm thinking of Chris Paul here, but it could be anybody. Are there internal options we're not thinking about on that O-line where they might actually feel good about their group just given what they've done here today? I
5: think they are high on Chris Paul, but it's tough to really sell yourself on the seventh-round pick who's played in one game that he could be a potential starter for years to come. I mean, they still have Andrew Norwell under contract. They haven't released him, so I think he'll probably start at left guard unless they go somewhere else in the draft or free agency still. I like what they have. I'd be surprised if they're done, though. I think there's still plenty of moves to be made. The offensive line as a whole took a pretty big step back in 2022 compared to 2021, and I think they realized they can't just get by with guys anymore. They actually have to have some legit, proven, talent, talented players there. So I'd be surprised if they're done at offensive line.
2: Yeah, how could they be confident rolling with a guard who is a late-round pick who played just once last season? I'd be like, exactly. How could you that's, roll with anybody that's like that a late-round like, pick? Yeah, you know, rolling with a quarterback you picked in the fifth round Ludicrous. who only played once last season. They would never do that.
5: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a little higher on Sam Howell being a productive <laughs> starter than Chris Paul, but I, I hear what
2: you're saying. Uh, I joke because I like to joke. Uh, this <laughs> is all now working toward the Sam Howell belief that they have, though. Everything that they've done this offseason, everything that they're doing, Goes back to what we heard on kind of day one where they said they're going with Hal and they're going to beef up the offensive line and some of the stuff around him. They're doing that. I don't know why these national people can't just get in line and figure this out. Florio today was still, yesterday he's writing about how they, they created space with Payne to sign Jackson. and I mean, I, I don't know. People just can't seem to wrap their heads around this.
5: I don't think anyone's going to wrap their heads around it nationally until we get to OTAs training camp or they add a different lower level veteran I mean we saw Case Keenum come off the board if they bring back Heineke I think that'll kind of just assure to everyone like look we're actually rolling with Sam Howell but when he's the only quarterback currently on their roster there's still plenty of room for speculation and I think that's what people are going to continue to do until they at least solve something whether it's a backup or bring someone else in or the draft but right now with Howell being the only guy on their roster it's It is fun to speculate what they could do.
2: Ethan, thank you as always, buddy. Have a good one. You too. Deron Payne meeting with the media as we speak. Just one day after he and the commanders agreed to terms on a $90 million contract with 60 mil guaranteed. He just put pen to paper at the park today. So it is official. It's signed, sealed, and delivered. What did Deron Payne say about getting his contract? Next on Grant and Danny here on The Fan.
3: Obviously your sack total went way up last year compared to the past. I
5: know you explained that you were just doing a better job of finishing. I guess what would you say to, to people who wonder, is that sustainable for you to get that kind of sack total uh, going forward?
2: I mean, like I said, I got the, um, like, I, I like the way that I'm training. I like the way that uh, I'm progressing as a player. I feel like i progressed almost every year and um, now that I know, like, I feel like it comes with knowledge and like doing, actually doing. I know how to get myself into position to finish and make plays. So now, now he's just up from here. Deron Payne has done what you're supposed to do. He's gotten better and better. He was drafted by the Washington Redskins initially. He's played for this team under three different names. He's worn two different numbers, and the man's now a Pro Bowler. The 13th overall pick in the draft has gone from. Early on, struggling to finish as a pass rusher. Two sacks in his sophomore season. Three tackles for loss, four quarterback hits. A very, very pedestrian year for a first round pick. Fast forward to this past season 11 and a half sacks, 18 tackles for loss, 20 hits on the quarterback. An absolute game wrecker who, in a contract year, Danny had far and away his best season and dominated games. He took Games over. He ended drives. He was fantastic. And because of that, he broke the bank. The highest paid defensive tackle in league history. You know, in the non-Aaron Donald division, I guess. But in terms of AAV, he got... Big money by Washington.
3: Yeah, you touched on it. I I mean, you you watch a guy develop, right, for a couple years. And and you always wonder what specifically was he asked to do. Was he meant to occupy some space so that John Allen could eat or that, you know, Montez Sweat could go or, or something like that. Well, you saw the role start to grow a little bit last year. He had 15 quarterback hits last season. And that's not world beating, but it's significantly more than he had. It's about twice as many as he had in any, any other, any other previous season ended up with only four and a half sacks, but that doesn't tell the full tale, right? I mean, he's starting to penetrate there, starting to get in, you know, disrupting some plays here and there. Those sack totals can be fluky. Just look at John Allen's career. Look at the arc of his the year before he got paid. He, I think he had two sacks and you and I both said, wait, 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 wait. People are looking at that as a disappointment. You rerun that John Allen season with all the other metrics that we're starting to look at again you know quarterback hits hurries uh tackles for loss you know plays that ended up turning into holding calls or or just misses or passes batted down etc you run that back it's a six seven eight sack season sure enough the next year boom huge year and now we think of John Allen as among the elite I think the same happened for Daron Payne in 2021 we just didn't notice because the sack totals weren't there and we were celebrating John Allen's renaissance season this to me is a guy that you know, took a couple of years, but has added to his toolkit, has added to his skill set when it comes to pass rushing moves and, and setting people up and driving people forward and, you know, finding things that are unblockable. That move that he had, I saw, I saw somebody really smart. I wish I could give him the right credit. I think maybe Brian Baldinger or, or somebody that breaks down film really, really well said that Deron Payne had a move this year that nobody really stopped very often. If Grant's the center, I'm lined up and I'm Deron Payne. I'm on his right shoulder. So I'm on his left side, but as Grant's facing, I'm on his right shoulder. Deron Payne has this swim-rip-type move where he goes across the face to the left shoulder of the center or the guard or whoever he's getting after, and nobody could stop it. No one stopped it all season long. He had to double-team or had to do something about it. He didn't have that in year two, year three in his career. He's added to it. He's improved. He is a stud player at this point. Now you hope. This wasn't just career year, and this is the new normal. If it is, you got yourself a great find, and we won't worry about the money in a couple of years when it gets superseded by a bunch of other guys.
2: Yeah, it's just interesting to me that very obviously, like the non-Aaron Donald market for great defensive tackles was at $21 million, and he was able to exceed that. Now, this is what happens when the latest guy gets paid, generally speaking, but normally... Now you have a comparable or a better resume, so to speak. So, like, As an example, let's look at the spending at defensive tackle, the highest paid guys at that position in the NFL. So you've got Aaron Donald making $31.7 million a year. Deron Payne at twenty-two point five, million. Then Javon Hargrave, who got a four-year $84 million deal today from San Francisco at $21 million per year. Leonard Williams, $21 million per year with the Giants. DeForest Buckner, $21 million per year. With the Colts, Chris Jones of the Chiefs, who you know was getting Defensive Player of the Year conversation, you know, the best D tackle in the NFL this past season, in my opinion, twenty million per year. And then the drop off is Jonathan Allen at eighteen, Vita Vea at seventeen seven. You know the next guy to get paid is probably going to be Jeffrey Simmons of the Titans, who right now is at twelve million, and it's he's going to presumably if, if Payne got twenty two five, he deserves twenty three twenty three and a half. 24, something like that. So we'll see what he gets. But what you've seen, Danny, is the explosion of this market. Guards are making more. Centers are making more. D tackles are making more. Because whereas several years ago, you paid defensive ends to get to the quarterback and the rush came from the outside, I think what we've learned and what is becoming more and more evident is the most harmful pressure to an offense, the most damaging way to hinder a quarterback, is directly up the middle from That's the right. interior. So a pressure from a de-tackle might actually be more helpful than a pressure from a defensive end. You think about quicker decisions or the ball coming out or having to throw it at somebody's feet. You know, If, if you get pressure off the edge, it takes longer generally. Fastest way somewhere is direct, right? Normally, if you're D tackle it's possible you're looping around running a game and kind of lollygagging your way to the quarterback, or you get a pressure on a a secondary rush or something like that where a quarterback's scrambling around. But more often than not, guys like Donald, Payne, Hargrave, Williams, Allen, Buckner, Jones, they're just winning and getting downhill. And that's where this money's coming from. So to your point, I, I mean,
3: if you look at the top ten sack leaders this year, just as a as a decent sample, you only got one defensive tackle in there, Chris Jones from Kansas City. But that doesn't tell the whole story. You I think your your quarterback hits, your tackles for loss, your sack leaders are typically going to be defensive ends. But it's not all created equal anymore. The days of, you know, Quarterback under center, drops back seven steps, turns, pats the football, scans the field, sees what's going on, gets to a second, third read, and here comes your defensive end looping around the edge for maybe a sack are over. To me, that interior pressure, to your point, whether it results in a sack for that player or not, is now the singular most valuable asset for a defense. Half the sacks, I think some of these guys are ending up with, these defensive ends. And listen, sometimes, you know, name that Bosa is just, filthy, ridiculous, and he casts the the tackle aside and, and, and goes to the house and does what he wants. But so often, you're getting a quarterback that can't step up in the pocket anymore. That's an def- interior defensive pressure. Now a defensive end ends up with a sack. Sometimes you've got to you know reshuffle your feet or slide one way or another, take an extra beat with the football because of that interior pressure. Again, edge rusher ends up with a sack. So to me, that's now kind of the center point of, of defenses. And I kind of like the idea of Washington being – among the San Francisco's of the world in terms of really valuing that thing. I'd like to see some increased production, quite frankly, from their defensive ends, given how awesome their interior defensive tackles are and have been for a couple of years. But, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But it's a new era in, in the league. Quarterbacks are so heavily protected, both in terms of the rules and by offensive coordinators and, and, and sort of
2: these designs. This is where the disruption has to come from. It's got to be short and quick. Here is a big developing NFL Story and this one's breaking. The Atlanta Falcons have the second most money in the league. So the Bears, everyone was talking about because they had a hundred million at one point in time. Well, after they made the DJ Moore trade and a couple of the other smaller moves they made going into the weekend, they were sitting at about 75 million in cap space in Chicago, number one in the NFL, most money to spend. And they are spending more today than anybody else because of that. But the number two team and the only other team really in the vicinity with Chicago's, the Atlanta Falcons, who were also in a great spot. Like their uh, GM is Terry Fontenot, and, and their assistant GM is Kyle Smith, who came from Washington. Those two guys are running that front office, and they have basically spent a few years in cap hell trying to get their head above water, right? They still need a quarterback. Very curious to see what they do there. They tried to get Deshaun Watson before it got too rich last year, bowed out. Well, they came into today with $62.9 million in cap space. Finally, out of their cap problems, that that group inherited. How about this? Jesse Bates of the Bengals, who's been franchise tagged last couple of years, yeah, Pro Bowl talent was huge for them in their Super Bowl run season before last. Four years, sixty-four million. He's going to get twenty-three million in year one via Tom Pelissero. So Jesse Bates going to leave the AFC and the Bengals to come to the Atlanta Falcons, a team in a wide-open division. That I'm really intrigued by. They were a frisky team. Remember last year, they were
3: not that much fun to play.
2: You yeah. don't want to deal with them. They could run the ball really well. Their rookie running back uh, Tyler Algier is legit. Yes, he is. Um, Kyle Pitts has been a disappointment in my opinion out of Florida, but it, you know, still a really good weapon. Let to see end.
3: him with a quarterback that could throw four passes. That That'd would be, be nice.
2: Uh, I, I thought Drake London, who I will tell you, I was wrong about. Washington was looking at him. I didn't really love his game. He looks like the real deal. Not explosive. Probably not like a an X receiver is going to go for 1,300 yards. Mm-hmm. Like a really good Z, someone who can go 70 for 1,000. Uh, maybe you want someone who's a burner on the other side of him. But they're starting to put some things together in Atlanta. They've spent money on defense today as well. Signed one of the best defensive tackles on the market within their own division. Coming over from New Orleans as well. And now Bates, who last year picked off four passes. Has had at least three picks in four of his five seasons. A big time playmaker, a former second team All Pro, twenty six years old, going to the Falcons. But that division is
3: wide open. To your point, right? Tampa won it with eight wins last year, and I cannot imagine they take a step forward this season. No chance, right? So Carolina they're not making the playoffs. Carolina, New Orleans, Atlanta,
2: all seven and ten. And Atlanta was in a lot of games. New Orleans the betting favorite after they brought in. Derek and they Clark. should be. Yeah, but but that's and they're losing pieces too, though. They, they lost both their defensive tackles in the division today. One went to the Panthers, who obviously traded up the board. They're going to go get probably C.J. Stroud or, or Bryce Young. You know, the betting market thinks it's going to be C.J. Stroud. And uh, they have the number one pick. But the other of those D-tackles went to Atlanta, where they're reworking that defense. Uh, we will keep you abreast of everything going on in the NFL at the top of the hour. We should actually. We haven't taken calls today. We should get into some reaction to the Daron Payne contract and what you want to see from the commanders as we continue to keep you up to speed. On the biggest day on the NFL calendar this offseason on Grant and Danny here on The Fan. The Steelers and longtime cornerback Patrick Peterson, past his prime but had a good year with the Minnesota Vikings last season, have agreed to terms. So he will be headed to Pittsburgh to play for the Steelers. Welcome back, Grant and Danny on the fan. Head on a swivel here, folks. There is NFL news every couple of minutes as we continue to monitor everything going on around the league today, including any of the moves that Washington makes. So far, they have re-signed Danny Johnson, guaranteeing him a little over $2 million. They have agreed to terms with Andrew Wiley, reportedly three years and $24 for the Chiefs' starting right tackle during their Super Bowl run last year. We don't yet know if he'll play tackle or guard. Uh, Just a quick lay of the land on his snaps in his career. 2022, all 1,088 of his snaps last year were at right tackle. 2021, 500 snaps all at right tackle. 2020, 874 snaps at guard and 97 at tackle. That's kind of the part of his career where he was playing more guard. Mm -hmm. 2019, 570 snaps at left guard, 140 at right guard, and two at right tackle. So he's actually played both guard positions and tackle as we try to figure out where they're going to slot him in. The commanders have also uh, added an interior offensive line option in Nick Gates, 8 million in guarantees, former New York giant. Gates broke his fibula and his tibia, in his left leg in a game against Washington Oof. in 2021. His PFF grades have kind of dropped off since, but a three-year deal as a depth player. He's 27 years old. He is a fifth-year player. That's what the commanders have been up to. I was joning earlier when I told Ben Standing, hey, if you have to leave when while we do this segment with you, no, fear not, we call that the rap sheet. Well, apparently, it's not just radio that Ian Rappaport disrespects. Oh, no. Come on. Apparently, his own TV show that he's on today on NFL Network. No. How about this?
1: kind of interesting one here. And, you know, there are some talented free agent receivers. Juju Smith-Schuster, who I know still has interest from Kansas City in returning. But Brandon Cooks is the, is kind of the one to watch here. I know uh, the Houston Texans are open to trading him for the right deal. He's got $16 million fully guaranteed. Signed an extension last year, then ended up wanting to be traded. A whole kind of mess there. But still a really good player, really productive, trying to set the NFL record for most times traded in a career. And we'll see if it ends up happening. It's a complex deal just because if you, sell, if you trade for him for $16 million. Oh, Jesse Bates is going to the Falcons. Okay, good to know. Jesse Bates to the Falcons. Hold on, I'm tweeting as I'm on TV. Okay, go
3: for it. There you go. I'm just watching a man interrupt himself on television to tweet. To a bunch of people, like literally this is what's happening it's the 21st yeah. century. it is the frenzy part of it all right so are we done are you saying we're done is that is that your way of saying we're done talking right now?
1: Um, you can okay. wait there while I get numbers. That's ah, all right. We'll come back to you. you go do your thing.
2: like does he think that that's fun or cute or am I the only one that finds it to just be there's like you could wait three minutes man or, or 30 seconds. It's really not that big of a deal. There's
3: got it. there has to have been a, an executive at some point. Especially
2: on on the television side. I think they're all doing the Manny be and Manny thing. I also I think it's funny. It's like, oh, just that's just Ian. Oh, Ian.
3: Now, we know that nobody understands our thing, our radio thing. Right. They they just sort of they go, What time's your show? And they just sort of like you go, no, 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 we have segments, we have times we have to be out. You can't just say someone will come by at like four fifteen. Is it four? Is it four ten? Is it four oh six? We need to know. TV people completely disrespect radio. Newspaper people completely disrespect radio. Whatever. It's not their job. I understand that. So here's... It's a long way of going somewhere, okay? I could understand... I don't agree, but I could understand a television executive being like, yeah, I don't care that you pulled the plug on an afternoon drive show in D.C. I don't care that you just sort of bailed on a hit somewhere. On a... On the television station...
2: Well, Eisen clearly was a little bit... Yeah. ...surprised. And and rightfully so. On the television station... He's like, this is really happening. And then he's like, are you done? And he goes... Just wait there while I get terms.
3: Your television responsibilities on the television, more important than your Twitter responsibilities. Haas?
2: Right, and that's the other thing is...
3: You, when Twitter starts paying you those checks every two weeks, Yeah, exactly then you right. go ahead and tweet all day.
2: Well, the other thing, he might say, like, I need to break this. My job is to break news and to get credit for the network. You're on TV, so break it. Break it. Now start breaking it down. Jesse Bates to the Falcons, what does this mean? No, he wants to tweet it. Get his, uh, you know, his retweets and his favorites out there, which I, I get the game. It's a drug, man. There's a juice to it. I used to love it when I was on the beat trying to chase stories. It, it's a great thing. But if you thought it was just he doesn't care at all about us or understand how radio works or anything, uh-uh. He's doing it to Rich Eisen today on NFL Network. I just know this. You never see Adam Schefter do that, and I prefer that style. The everything is calm. It's, I'm, I'm not just running around with a chicken with my head cut off. I'm not grabbing my phone and screaming at the top of my lungs that something's going on. Like Schefter, if he gets something, uh, guys, what I'm hearing is, and and he just continues to do television somehow.
1: You trade for him for $16 million. Oh, Jesse Bates is going to the Falcons. Okay, good to know. Jesse Bates good to, know. to the it's Falcons. A great Hold on, I'm tweeting as are on
3: TV. Okay, go for it. There you go. I'm just watching a man interrupt himself on television to tweet to a bunch of people. <laughs> literally, line. this is what's happening. But it's the 21st yeah. century. It is the frenzy part of it. All right. So are we done? Are you saying we're done? Is that, is that your way of saying we're done
1: talking right now? Ian? Um, you so can wait there while I get numbers. That's nah, all right. We'll come back to you. You go do your thing.
2: So here's what I really do believe, okay? I think that it's a character now that is, like, enjoyed there at his place of work and just in general. In other words, I have a buddy of mine who has a parent, okay? And their parent is what I would call rude. They just are very blunt. Huh. They just say things, right? They're just rude. But to them, it's like funny. You know, it's like it's like dad. You know what I'm mean? like? Oh, dad's just being dad again. You know, and it's... But you mean abrasive? Right, exactly. <laughs> but if you're not... If you don't know dad, uh-huh. if you haven't been around him, you're like, "Oh, he's just a rude guy, man. Like, he just... He lacks tact. You know, you know, he doesn't say things that he's supposed to say publicly. Like, I but, think, but the supporters are, are sitting there guffawing and slapping their yeah, knee. They're all yeah. like, oh, he's so funny! It's like my buddy's dad, right? Um, and the the point of the dude's story is with Ian Rappaport. I think he thinks this is cute, and people for a long time have made it really well known. Oh, it's Rappaport. He's doing the crazy He's rap doing it. thing. I,
3: I know who didn't seem that amused. Uh, Rich Eisen didn't seem to be that into it. Exactly right.
2: Into that shtick. Let's see what happens in the few minutes when we step away here because each and every five minutes or so today, another major story is broken in the NFL. But at the top of the hour, I think we should start to dive in on the Deron Payne extension. How do you guys feel about it? Are you glad that the commanders locked him up? for $22.5 million per year? Would you have rather them just let him play on the franchise tag this year and moved on? You can give us your thoughts at 800-636-1067. We should also go position by position here and see where this team still has some needs. Take a look at the depth chart as it's currently constructed on a frenzied day of free agency in the NFL on Grant and Danny.
1: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.